My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. You who are with us for the first time or maybe fairly new to us over the past few weeks. Thanks for making us your church home for an hour today. Before I get into the word, we're going to continue on our series regarding faith. But I, I need to share with you some things that have happened in our nation this week. And I'm, I'm, I'm deeply conflicted in my soul because I'm not quite sure from what perspective I need to share. But I'm just going to air air what I, what I feel, kind of a visceral response. Um, I, I am mindful that, that immigration issues are important. I think uh, our homeland security is of utmost importance and our borders need to be protected. I'm not quite sure how to do that. I don't sign on to anything that I've heard yet regarding a best practice, but I'm all for making sure that you are protected and that there are no events here in America that cause inordinate inconvenience or loss of life or injury. But what happened to the families who tried to cross a border in our southern states um, here in the past week or two? Um, we, we, we put our elected officials in place of us to make good decisions on our behalf. We want them to protect us. We want them to make sure that we have the opportunity to live well in peace and prosperity. And as the Bill of Rights says, exploring the pursuit of happiness, whatever that looks like. I, I don't know that anybody could say that our elected officials passed with flying colors this past week. Um, I don't know how you could come to a great decision that, that separated kids from parents. I don't know. I think you have to at least take all the biblical injunctions we know to be true about caring for the second generation kids and the biblical injunctions about what God says about foreigners, aliens in the scriptures or people who are here that aren't native citizens. All those injunctions. And then you just ignore them and the visceral response that comes from just being a human being and say, well, this, this here rule is much more important than that child. Leviticus 19, verse 34, says, when the alien comes among you, you must treat him as your native. And the reason being, you must remember that you yourselves were sojourners in the land of Egypt. All of our spiritual ancestors were sojourners. Abraham was a wanderer in a land not his own. And went to Egypt as a man not in his own country. Traveled through the promised land, then went to a bunch of different places. And I'm not quite sure whether he got visas. Just not sure. Isaac, same way. Jacob, same way. Mary and Joseph, I'm pretty sure they didn't get a visa because they were told in the middle of the night that they had to flee and go to Egypt. So I don't think they... I don't think they went to the Egyptian embassy in Israel to get their, their papers. They just had to go. Undocumented they were. It's not a political statement. It's just a fact. And I'm trying to figure out how in the world we can make better decisions on behalf of young people. I care about those kids. I care about them deeply. And generally you don't want to be on the wrong side of God's priorities about children. 
He doesn't take kindly to people who don't treat him right. He doesn't. Of all the judgments that Jesus made regarding the treatment of children, and there were a few, the disciples said, don't, don't allow these kids to come close. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, your faith needs to be like theirs. And then he said, anybody who causes one of these little ones to stumble, be better if they were not born. God cares for kids. I'm not saying he cares for them any more than he cares for adults, but he sure does amplify how much he does care for them. And when you put stumbling blocks in front of them that, that harm or block their maturity, God have mercy. And so I want us to pray and ask for his mercy to be upon the kids who have yet to be reunited with their parents because that's a traumatic event. Now I realize there are some parents who intentionally cross the border illegally and I am all for the rule of law, all for it. They intentionally did it in order to make sure that the children could be provided for even if they were sent back, that they thought that this was a better life for their kids. I get it. There are all kinds of different reasons as to why things should or should not be enforced. I understand it, but I do know this, that there is an overarching principle that we find from Scripture that doesn't seem to be held by many. Why? Because nobody in our country is thinking that we are Christian anymore. The church is. But there's nothing about our government. I can't find anything. In fact, they're trying to run from the Bible. Disassociate themselves as much as possible from everything that has to do with chapter and verse, except to misquote it. And so I'm not quite sure that we can ascribe the same standards of proper conduct to our government that we should do to the church. This is why I'm conflicted, because I don't know exactly upon what basis I would bring some degree of conviction to anybody over there. Because all the things that we know about how to respond best to people come from Scripture. It's not just the natural human response, though there is a residual image of God inside of everyone that seems to harken back to a time when people should be able to make good decisions without chapter and verse. But it doesn't happen often. And so we need chapter and verse to understand when we are conflicted about what to do, what is right to do. But nobody wants to read chapter and verse. They don't want to use the Bible right. And so I'm not quite sure who I talk to about what is right because all my right comes from the Bible. So I'm not quite sure what to do, but I do know what I can do, and that's pray for these kids and ask for mercy upon anyone who helped make their life harder. God, I'm asking for your grace and mercy, please. You said you are a father to the fatherless. And at this point, these kids are fatherless. Please be what no human being can be to them right now. Reveal yourself to them. Open them. Open their eyes so that they can see. And have mercy on all those who need to respond better in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. Continuing our series on faith. The title of the message today is Faith to Move Forward, Building for God. Faith to Move Forward, Building for God. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Now, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Lord, help us as we study. Three things on this passage about which I'd like to speak with you. 
One, being apprised. Two, assembling things. And three, acquiring things. The context is that the world was in real bad shape. So, so bad was it that God said, I have to end it as it exists presently and start all over with a team of eight, a family of eight, and with a, with a, with a, a selected view of the, of the population of the animals. Um, this, this condition in which the world found itself was, were the people's own fault. Now, when we think about God destroying things, generally, we always have to take our brains back from the place of going, well, God's, God's merciful, isn't he? Why would he judge men like this? This is so mean. Minimally ascribing some neglect to God for not loving us the way he should. Maximally ascribing blame to him for treating us so poorly. In both categories, we find ourselves in danger if we don't intentionally bring our thoughts back to biblical. The world was so bad that the only solution God could figure out was to start over. That tells you how bad it was because it's bad now, but he hasn't done that with us. Now, I realize he said I'll never flood the earth again, but remember, he's got a lot of tools of destruction at his disposal. (laughs) It doesn't have to be with water. He can do it any way he wants. We're not that bad. Yet we're horrible. We are horrible. And (laughs) I think it bears mentioning that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, the hinge upon which God made this decision happened to be men's treatment of women. God said... The daughters of men were treated by the sons of God, which happened to be a representation of this category of human beings, at least we believe this, this category of human beings that were huge and looked like they weren't normal like me. A maid, a six to, excuse me, nine to ten feet tall, you know, 450 pounds and ran a 4-2. Just amazing athletes, strong, so much so that they said, oh, those are different class. And they would then, it says, take women however they wished. Meaning many of them, they wouldn't prescribe, they wouldn't go by the prescribed way of marrying them, going through the dowry process or the, the, the uh, bride price process of paying something to the, to the, the father of the, of the woman that they were taking as their own. Uh, they would just take them. And, and we think this was, this was probably the first uh, trafficking. Women just being absconded and treated horribly. He says, however they wished. Horrible. Whomever they wished, however they wished. And God said, I've had enough. I'm starting over. Mm, might do well, gentlemen, to treat your bride well. So he doesn't have to start over with, without you. The selfishness, the unchecked sin. You know, we have no record of any police department in the book of Genesis. So, 
because there was no quote-unquote law, there was no penalty for doing wrong. And mankind realized, I can get rich real quick. I can become more prosperous real quick if I just go out and do what I want to do when I want to do it and nobody can hold me accountable. I like this. Mankind had gotten so bad that when they saw a guy, a neighbor saw somebody's Mercedes and it was better than their Audi, they said, I'm taking that. It was horrible, horrible. God said, I got to start over. It's a bad way to go. And, but, but God said, I'm going to start over with a testimony. I'm going to start over with a testimony. I'm going to start over with my man, Noah, and his wife, their sons and their wives, eight people in all. He had three sons. And I'm going to, I'm going to allow him the privilege of letting people know how merciful I am even in the midst of their disobedience. Again, we should not ascribe a neglect to God, nor guilt, ever. Because God said, when Adam and Eve got in the garden, don't eat from this tree, and the day you eat of it, you will die. God's mercy was that he let them still breathe, though they spiritually died. We never look at it like that. We think, oh, God kicked them out of the garden for eating a tree, eating fruit of a tree? Are you kidding me? What kind of punishment is that? It should fit the crime. It should fit the crime. You really want it to fit the crime? You really want it to fit the crime. The fitting of the crime would be they drop over dead immediately. That's how, that's how ugly and horrible disobedience to God really is. But we like to ratchet it in different categories of disobedience so that some things are really horrible before God and some things aren't so bad. It's all horrible. It's all horrible. Now we have different consequences here because it affects humanity differently. So if you tell a white lie, generally you're not going to jail. If you knock off a 7-Eleven, 20 years. We have different things because it affects humanity, and we have to have a standard here so by, people, by which people know, don't do that or you have to suffer these consequences. But before God, it's equally as horrific that he let Adam and Eve live and gave them the ability to continue to provide for themselves outside of the plush garden. So much mercy. Though spiritually, they were disconnected from it. And then... He let humanity live in that state for a period of over 400 years, continually disobeying him, yet not suffering the pain and the consequences of their misdeeds. Wow. That is, aren't, we, we still have another 40% to go in terms of age of, as, as a country before we even approach how long God's mercy extended to mankind, whereby he did not require their life for their sin. Merciful was he so merciful amazing and this is the first time now he's saying I don't have any choice I got, they, they got to ante up I've tried I've, I've, I've let them live I've, I've given them blessings they've prospered and they still have no regard for me they don't teach their children nor do they teach their grandchildren nobody thinks I'm worthy of worship, and yet I provided all of this planet for them. Even in the midst of their curse, I bless them. Even in the midst of their disobedience, I continue to bless them, and nobody says thank you to me. He says, no, i got to start over. But even in the midst of the starting over, if you read in Genesis 6, it says that Noah was called to build this boat. And, and, and this boat was, was four, 450 feet long. 300 cubits, cubit was 18 inches about, 450 feet long, big boat. God called Noah to build it when he was 500 years. 
old. And, and, and he didn't finish until he was 600. Wow. A hundred years of putting hammer to nail every day. And that was, this was his project. This wasn't his job. This was his hobby. This is what he did after his nine to five. He had to build this boat because it didn't provide for him while he was doing it. It's not like he was putting up a condominium complex through which people would then pay to get in it. This was all for the salvation of his household, so nobody was paying him. And when he started, his kids weren't old enough to help yet, so it was just him and mama. Him. <laughs> it took him 100 years to build. Now you say, well, how long did people live back then? Yeah, they lived a long time. I don't know. I mean, I have some ideas as to why. But it's not material here. They lived a really, really long time. And so there was time to be able to do this. But God's mercy was this. He says in Genesis 6, <clears throat> I'm going to strive with man, but I can't do it forever. Yet his days will be 120 years. Now, many people have interpreted that passage as being that which defines how long man, a person, man would live individually. That's not what he's talking about because many people live past 120 years after that. What he's talking about, specifically, is how long he would wait until judgment would come. 120 years. So God gave man a warning and said, in 120, that's it. That's a lot of mercy. Still, 120. I'm giving you time. And then he was building this big boat whereby people would have to come by and say, what is that, Noah? What is that? <clears throat> now, Back then, the world was one landmass, one. There weren't continents. Those didn't happen until later in Genesis in the generation of a man who was born named Peleg, and he was named such because it says, then the earth was divided in his day. And so continents existed then. The earth split up. Tectonic plates began to move, and stuff began to go all over, and so we have what we have now. But everybody knows, all scientists understand, that the world started as one landmass, and that is confirmed by Genesis in saying God created the land in one place, Genesis chapter 1. So the earth was formless and void, the water was there, and he created the land. So Noah's in the middle of, you know, everybody's still probably in the proximity of Eden. They didn't stray far from it. And Noah's building this boat, and there's no mention of anything being close enough that would fit the size of the boat in terms of water, bodies of water. Surely not the four rivers that came from Eden that watered the entire earth with respect to the vegetation that was uh, on the planet. Those rivers couldn't contain that boat. And, and then so you're, you're sitting there as a person who's looking at Noah building this thinking, okay, it's a boat, but it's like an ocean liner. How are you going to get this to water? What can drag this thing over land 100 miles, 200 miles to get it to the closest water? You are, you sh what are, you, you are nuts. Every day, Noah would probably have to answer the assertions of other people, being called all kinds of names, being accused of being stupid and crazy every day. But what was God doing with this big boat in Noah? Giving them a witness. And I imagine Noah having neighbors that he realized would probably be condemned by this flood would regularly have to say, you know, I can build you a room in this thing. A room for what? I already got a house. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's like, well, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. 
Now, up to that point, it had not. There'd been no mention of rain at all. Zero. It says that water used to come up from the ground and water all the plants of the earth. No mention of clouds, thunderstorms, storm, nothing. So they're sitting this, what's rain? You're doubly crazy, bro. <laughs> You're talking about stuff that has never been seen before. And this is what the scripture says. Warned by God about things not yet seen. He said, well, yeah, it's going to rain. Well, what's rain? Well, sky, water, fall. And then stuff's coming up from the ground. It's going to be bad. It's going to be a huge flood. Yeah, I won't have to transport the boat to water. The water's coming to the boat. That's never happened before. Hmm. Can, you give, can you give me any historical precedent for this? No. And, and, and that's evidence of God's mercy. And if he wanted to, he could pull the plug on humanity right now. But he's given you time and me a voice to let you know his mercy is extended to the place where you can receive it. And everybody still said no. Before we ever begin to apply neglect to God or blame, which is worse, let us flip the side of the, to the other side of the coin and realize how merciful he has been to all of humanity that ignores him regularly. So kind is he that he blesses people who don't like him. He makes the sun and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And the rain is not in contrast to sun. We who love weekends and are non-agrarian, we think rain is a problem. Sunshine is good, rain is bad. <clears throat> In an agrarian society, rain is always good because you need rain to water your plants. God was saying, I bring sun to help in the earth, and I bring rain to help in the earth. And I do it indiscriminately. I bless those who love me and those who don't. He is so merciful because even those who love him don't love him like they should. God is so merciful. And he let Noah build this boat as an evidence of his kindness and grace, which I'm sure would have been more than sufficient to allow a few people to get on this boat, but nobody said yes. I'm asking you, what are you building? What are you building by faith? Noah decided to do something just because God said. He was the first one that had to construct something on the order of God's architecture that was a benefit to people. The first one. Everybody else, either they, they, they spoke on behalf of God or walked with God. Enoch was a man who walked with God and was no more because God took him. But he didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to build anything. Noah was the first one who exercised his faith in order to really do something in the earth for God that made a difference. And Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. So we have the first preacher, not just a guy who could testify about what life was like walking with God. It says in, in uh, the New Testament that Enoch was a prophet. But we have a preacher, and this preacher was obviously talking about whatever he knew about God to be true to others and saying, come, understand who he is, and nobody would listen to him. I'm asking you, what are you building today by faith? 
We are all called to construct. We are all called to put hammer to nail spiritually by understanding what our Bible has to say about what mankind ought to do and evidencing that by our own lives so that our mouths can be backed up by credibility. Look at what I've constructed. Now there's nothing about your life that can be so well built that it looks like it doesn't have any flaws. Your construction project may look like the leading tower of Pisa. It might not go in the right direction, but at least you are constructing something. Some people construct nothing. They don't do anything in their spiritual life to evidence the fact that God is there. The rest of humanity has no clue. The only way people understand a Christian might be a Christian is if one day that person says, I'm a Christian, to which the other party listening says, really? What are you building? What are you building? Noah was building something because he was apprised of things to come. And I'm telling you, there are things to come. I'm not just talking about the apocalyptic stuff and the cataclysmic things of end times, though those are coming. I don't know when. But I do know that there are things to come in your life that are going to require shelter. This is why we build the church. The church is the New Testament ark. Jesus is the New Testament Noah. And more. But the New Testament Noah. What did he tell Peter? I will build my church. And the gates of death that represent judgment to mankind will not prevail against it. Noah built an ark against which the judgments for mankind that came to death for many did not prevail against it. We are to build things that are spiritual in their orientation so that the man who doesn't know anything about Jesus can come to an understanding of who he is through our building process, not just through our words. Our lives ought to back up everything we say. In fact, ought to be the forerunner and let the words be the confirmation of how we live. So that when people look at us, we have built so well, they come to us and say, what do you do that's different than me? I mean, you don't respond to difficulty like just willy-nilly and your mind being blown and, and all of a sudden you're in panic mode. You have such peace when everything's falling apart. You don't gossip. You don't talk about the supervisors like the rest of us do. You've always got a good word for somebody in courage. Who are you? That ought to be the standard of everybody's, everybody's method, life of employment. That when people are able to see that, they come and say, I need to know about who you are. And then you explain because of what you've built. And I've been apprised. I mean, there have been some things... In fact, I live my life not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Any of the rest of y'all? Things not yet seen? Things not yet seen. Now, you may have heard about things being done in other people's lives that you hope never happened to you. And you've seen some things happen to other people. But you wake up almost weekly thinking, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> oh, if I'd known that, I would have done this. Things not yet seen. You have to build in preparation. 
God has apprised you of storms coming and there's no way you can get out of the way. It's not like you've got Doppler radar. You can't see from the sky that the thing's coming from the west. It just shows up at your front door. And all of a sudden you think, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't invite you. Why are you here? To test you, that's why. Storms are coming, things not yet seen. James says, when you encounter various trials, my brother, consider it all joy. For it is a testing of your faith. Because you still have some issues in your life, you lack things, and the testing of your faith will allow you to know that you can mature through it if you do well, so that you are mature and lacking nothing. But these tests of storms are things you haven't seen yet. But if you build well, you can endure them, and endure them well. Be apprised. Secondly, Noah had to, had to assemble. I mean, every day, hammer and nail. Every day doing something. You ought to read your Bible every day. Every day. The time to put a new roof on your house is not when it's raining. You, you evidence that you need one when it's raining. Because it's raining inside. But the time to put a new roof on is when it's not. When things are going really well, that's when you need to prepare. You need to get in your Bible. Everybody wants to run to God in a hurry when all, everything is breaking loose. Oh, my life is a wreck. I need to go to church. You should have been here last week. <laughs> when things were going just fine. Prepare before. Prepare before. Prepare. Can you imagine if Noah said, well, I got 120 years. I got 120. So... I'll start at 118. <laughs> not enough prep, boy. Not enough prep. Not enough prep. You got to start now. I don't care whatever is your, your, your version of you know what's coming or maybe you don't. Whatever it is, you need to start now to prepare for what is coming. Assemble every day. Read your Bible. Go to small groups. Get involved in the prayer ministry. Serve in ways that allow you the privilege of interacting with others who know you best who know you better, so you can be ironed on a little bit to get all the wrinkles out and, 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 and rubbed on a little bit to get all the rough edges off. You need other people in your life to help you get to where you can't get to on your own. And it's painful. I know you don't like people telling you what to do. I don't either. Nobody does. We like to be our own authority. <laughs> I had some, somebody come to me one time and said, I, 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 just, I, just, I just don't like authority in my life. I, I, it just it feels foreign. It's somebody else telling me what to do, and who are they anyway? I said, well, you, 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 don't, you don't mind your own authority. You just don't like other people's, right? Yeah. Well, how's that going for you? You're in my office because you followed your own authority. You made some really bad decisions. That is somebody who had other authority might have helped you with. If you like recovery, do it all by yourself. Do life by yourself if you like recovery. Everybody likes recovery when they have to recover. But if you are not in the place of recovery, recovery is bad. Because that means that you've done something you shouldn't have done. And now you need to recover from that which you shouldn't have done. And recovery is always longer than the act 
that you did that you needed to recover from. Just ask anybody who's played any sports. You tear an ACL, happens in about two seconds. It takes a whole year to recover. You can't be yourself until that time. Recovery is always longer. And I'm begging you, don't do the things that seem really good at the time, seem like they're fun, and will provide a little bit of enjoyment, five minutes worth of pleasure, 15 minutes of fun, and then you got to recover for the next 10. Stop before you go and prepare for the storm beforehand so that you know what to do when the decision time comes. No, I am not going to that. I'm not going with you there. Nope, nope, nope. Bye. See you. Yeah, you're pretty, but not today. <laughs> not today. You won't be pretty to me tomorrow either. Bye, 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 bye. Get out of my life. Because you made a good decision way beforehand when the difficulty started. Every day, 100 years, nail to wood and hammer to nail. And he was doing it for his family and himself. He was making sure that there was something other than just him that he could provide for. And dads, what are you doing to build regularly? What are you doing to build? Not just provide, but build. How are you constructing things? Moms, how are you constructing things? Mom and dads, how are you working together to build an architectural plan to construct a thing? See, in the midst of this, God had a plan. He said, I want you to build it like this, according to these plans. And he said there had to be three decks to it, the rooms for all the animals, rooms for his wife and him and their son, his sons and their wives, 450 feet long, about 45 feet high, about 70 feet wide. Boy, it was amazing. And, and, and only one, one window. I, I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, why one window? Why, why, just, why just one window? Y'all ever been to the zoo? Zoo, yeah. You ever been to the ape house at the zoo? What's the first thing you notice in the ape house before you notice the apes? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I tell you, for me, the apes are not as impressive as they are offensive to my nose. <laughs> and so when I walk in there, I'm trying to find the exit door in a hurry because these things smell much worse than they look good. And so I'm, I'm getting, can you imagine? Noah was in the ark for nine months. Nine months in a zoo. One window. <laughs> One window. The church is a New Testament version of the ark. And it may have been intolerable in that ark for a period of time. I mean, every day you're just, oh, the stench. One question I am going to ask Noah when I get to heaven is, did you bring a shovel? <laughs> did you bring a shovel, bro? But, oh God. And you know what made them happy about the ark, even in the midst of the stench? Is that it was worse outside. It was worse outside. So every day, even with their difficulty, they were happy. Thank God we're saved. Thank God God loved us like this. Oh, the smell is, 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 is wonderfully nasty. Oh, it's so, it's so amazingly gross. I'm just, I'm just so happy I'm saved. The church might stink, but it's worse outside. Just do this every day. Praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. I'm here. I'm not going any place. This is wonderful. I'm enjoying myself immensely. Yes, sorry. Yeah, the church. The church. It's worse outside. It's worse outside. And lastly, you acquire some things. It says when he built this ark, it says he condemned the world. Now, the writer in Hebrews is looking in retrospect as to what happened. And indeed, the ark itself was the picture of what condemnation looked like and that the people understood they had an opportunity and they denied it. And so every time as they were gulping for air, trying to figure out how in the world to survive, they saw the ark that was floating. And it was their witness of their own condemnation. I had an opportunity and I blew it. I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't believe them. I didn't know this was going to happen, but it happened. And now I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Oh. We don't have the kind of sentence of judgment that is final yet. Oh, there's going to come an end to all things. But I can almost guarantee you it's not going to be tomorrow. I can almost guarantee you it's probably not going to be in my lifetime. Whatever the end looks like in an apocalyptic, I'm having a hard time with that word, apocalyptic sense. Whatever the end looks like, I don't think it's going to happen real, real soon. Now, if Jesus wanted to come back in a hurry, I'm not going to be mad at him, please. I've worked too hard. I've done enough. I'm ready to go home. That's good. That's good. That's good. Wind it all up. That'd be great. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. We've still got a lot more to do. More people need to be saved. So today, we're not building the church as a condemnation to everybody else. We're building the church to say, come in. It's a witness. It provides some degree of focus for people to say, there is a life on the earth that is different than the one I'm living. And nothing is supposed to represent, hear me in this, nothing is supposed to represent the kingdom of God with greater concentration and greater credibility than the church. No Bible study, no parachurch ministry, no missions project, all of them are worthy of, of, of support and are, are mentionable in terms of commendation. But when it comes to the concentration of God's presence and his principles, there is no place on the earth that is supposed to represent them better than the church. How we relate, how we love, how we forgive, how we support, what we do in enduring, Patience, kindness, everything is supposed to be most represented in the church. And we are supposed to be a help to the rest of the world. Come, join. It's better in here, not perfect. Leaning Tower of Pisa in our construction, but at least it's safe. And lastly, it says he received righteousness. Righteousness. Noah did not become righteous by building the ark. He became righteous because God imputed to him righteousness, meaning he gave it to him. He just credited it to him as a result of believing that what the Lord said was true. And as a result of the righteousness that was given to him, he then manifested that righteousness in right doing. There is nothing we can do in order to somehow gain righteousness before God. Nothing. Because our criminal activity against his kingdom, not against Fairfax County, but against his kingdom, our ability to continue to break his laws is, is more than evident. We can't even count the number of times we've done wrong, not to mention the times we should have done right and didn't. Those are still things for which we are accountable. 
We have blown it royally. There's no way any good we do can wipe out the bad we've done. So the only way God can make us righteous, because only righteous people can get to heaven. Only righteous people can get to heaven. But none of us are righteous. So Jesus had to live a right life, not just die for our sins as an innocent one who had never committed sin, but to live a right life, having overcome all the things that overcame us, to evidence the fact that right living could be done by a son of Adam and a son of God, could be done and therefore transferred that right living to us by way of impartation, not by way of deeds on our own. And as a result of that righteousness given to us, then we do right as evidence of us being right. Are you listening to me? Noah received, as we do, by faith, the righteousness that is imparted from Christ to us. He received the righteousness that is imparted from God to him. And as a result, he then did right in building the ark. There is a righteousness that the world needs to see as a result of you being right, as being made by God, that then says, I live right this way. Oh, so many people. My last comment. Say, Pastor, Christianity is just so hard. It is hard to live this way. I say, yeah, it's probably the most difficult thing. In fact, it's impossible. The only way I can do it and do it right is by the power of Almighty God. I can't do it on my own. And neither can you. But, but, but let me ask you about hard. How's your baby mama drama going? <laughs> oh, pastor, it's hard. It's so hard. And, 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 and how, many, how many babies do you have by different women? I got three by two. And, and they're all taking you to court? Yeah. I said, how, you like that version of hard? Because I like my version of hard better than your version of hard. My version of hard is hard living. You're right. It's not easy to do the right thing. But when I do the right thing, I don't have any baby mama drama. Nobody's taking me to court. My wife isn't trying to divorce me. My kids love me. I got great friends. I got a church. I got the finest church on the planet. I got so many things as a result of living hard. So you choose which version of hard you want. People need to know that victory is possible. It's possible. Not by our own strength but by the power of Almighty God. And if we live right, they have hope and say, well, he puts on his pants just like me. She puts on her eyeshadow just like me. (laughs) If she can do it, I can do it by the power of Almighty God. Righteousness can be the example for everybody else out there about what it means to have victory more than defeat. Yeah, here you go. Period. (laughs) Lord bless everybody. We ask that you'd help us to live right and to build well according to faith. By faith we do this. By faith we do this.